Hi, welcome to Coach Beard's Book Club. I'm Michaela, Coach Beard's assistant. Together with Andrea, Bex and Marita, we'll be diving into the books mentioned or seen in the Apple TV series Ted Lasso. So if you love Ted Lasso as much as Van Damme loves Amsterdam, then join this group of four women handpicked by Beard himself and let's go. Welcome back, Greyhounds. Great to have you. This time we are doing The Wizard of Oz. And to introduce ourselves, I want to know which of the four travellers in The Wizard of Oz would you consider yourself to be? Let's start with Andrea. Um, I'm going to be the scarecrow because I never give myself enough credit for having brains. Well, you should. Bex, what about you? I'm also going to go with the scarecrow <laughs> because... I- I just feel, yeah, I think it's it's about the confidence behind the knowledge, like knowing that it is in yes. there and believing in it. Yes. Oh, that's, that's not what I would have picked for you two. I feel bad. No, you've got to have more confidence because you're amazing. Marita, who would you be? Uh, I think I'm going to at least today go with the Tin Man because I've been doing a lot outside and I'm feeling really creaky and sore and also a little heartless. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> that, that's so good. Right. Well, I was going to pick the scarecrow, but we can't we can't be three scarecrows and the tin man. So I'm going to go the cowardly lion because sometimes I am scared to do things that I should just do. All right. Well, then we need to have one of each. I'll swap to Dorothy because, you know, sometimes I just need to, like, get away, learn something new and realize how much I appreciate home. <laughs> well, and look, it's your, it's your golden girl, too. Right. So. You know yeah. what? You're right. <laughs> I think yeah. my instinct is just is just scarecrow, but like if I actually think about it more deeply, yeah, I'm probably Dorothy. So you're Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy in the Golden Girls. Love it. <laughs> That's canon now. <laughs> but you have a synopsis for us for the Wizard of Oz. For anybody who may not have seen it, which I find unlikely, but just in case. Yeah, and I am going to do a synopsis of the film, not the book, but for anybody out there who is a fan of the book, we fully support that too. I just think that most of our analysis today is coming from watching the film. So The Wizard of Oz is a 1939 American musical fantasy film. It's an adaptation of L. Frank Baum's 1900 children's fantasy novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. It's a weird year to say out loud 1900 like that and not make it seem like the 1900s (laughs) or as my students say, back in the 1900s. (laughs) The film was produced by MGM and stars Judy Garland as Dorothy Gale, Frank Morgan as the wizard, Ray Bolger, Jack Haley and Bert Lahr. Lahr? I think so, yeah. And Bert Lahr as the scarecrow, the tin man and the lion, respectively. Billy Burke was the Good Witch, and Margaret Hamilton was the Wicked Witch. It's most known for its use of Technicolor, but contrary to popular belief, it was not the first film to use the technology. The Wizard of Oz was a critical success and was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It did not win that award, but did win Best Original Song and Best Original Score. In the film, Dorothy is a teenager living on a farm in Kansas with her aunt and uncle. Her dog Toto bites a wealthy woman named Miss Gulch. In order to prevent Toto's death, Dorothy runs away with him. She runs into Professor Marvel, who convinces Dorothy to return home. She gets caught up in a tornado and hides in the house. The house ends up flying away to an unknown land. When she wakes up, she meets the good witch Glinda and learns that she has killed the Wicked Witch of the East. 
Her sister, the Wicked Witch of the West, shows up and declares revenge. Dorothy just wants to go home. Glinda tells her that the Wizard of Oz might be able to help her and sends her along the yellow brick road. Here she encounters the Scarecrow, Tin Man, Cowardly Lion, and the group, along with Toto, make their way to the Emerald City. There, the wizard tells them to go get the Wicked Witch's broomstick, and then he'll help them. They complete their quest, melting the witch in the process, and they return to Emerald City. Here, they discover the wizard is just a man behind a curtain, but he's still able to help them all by teaching them that they had always had the qualities they'd been looking for. He then offers to take Dorothy back to Kansas in his hot air balloon, but after Toto jumps out of the basket and Dorothy chases after him, the balloon takes off without her. The good witch shows up again and tells Dorothy that she can use the ruby slippers to return home. With three clicks of her heels and the declaration that there's no place like home, Dorothy is transported back to Kansas where she is reunited with her family. Okay, that was a long one, but I wanted to run through the whole bit. As for the appearance in Ted Lasso, I mean, where did it not appear? Right. Yeah, exactly. From Coach, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore, to Roy's tie-dyed shirt, the pinball game, and the inclusion of Somewhere Over the Rainbow with the You've Got Mail movie night, the hints are everywhere. So it's not a one-for-one retelling by any means, but there are definitely explicit references throughout the series. And Andrea, you're going to kick us off, right? I sure am. Hi, everybody. I definitely spent a lot of my time when I was watching Ted Lasso, because I think there was a lot of talk, right, about the connection to Star Wars and how it was the three movies and like even like the rom-com thing. I think like the Wizard of Oz things were there, obviously, but like for whatever reason, they weren't top of mind to me. And so I, like I said, I always spent my my time kind of like when I was thinking about the three seasons, I, I thought a lot about Star Wars and kind of, you know, the elements of rom-coms and Star Wars that was being shown to us. So like when I started watching Wizard of Oz, I really just immediately kind of got caught up and like, okay, how does this speak to the three seasons that we've, of Ted Lasso that we've seen? A high level, I think we all understand easily that Wizard of Oz and Ted Lasso are both stories about people thinking they need something outside of themselves to be better, ignoring the skills they already have and not believing in themselves, right? And sometimes it's a, sometimes it's obvious stuff like, Right. Like the cowardly lion shows he's, you know, he's not a coward, you know, but he also has other skills that, that, that appear, you know, so it's like, it's not always one-to-one. Like it's like, I think it's a combination of skills that we all have. Right. And it's not so much that the person is maybe the person feels that they're missing this one that's so important, ignoring the other things that they have that are good. I kind of went through the beats of the movie and where it aligns with Ted Lasso. Like, I think the first part we see is Dorothy struggling at home whatever she's upset about her dog has been, you know, the, the neighbor hates her dog and all of that. And, you know, but she also lets her dog run into the, into the neighbor's yard and all this stuff. And like, you know, she's kind of a little bit annoying at the beginning. I'm just going to say it. I'm sorry. She's a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, this girl, <laughs> you know, but, but also annoying that everyone was like, shut up girl. You know, like everyone was kind of like, shut up little girl, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We all know that's a pet peeve of yours. Right. You know, and basically, like, she starts fucking around and gets herself caught in a tornado and all of Who that. Who fucked around and found out. <laughs> and all of that, to me, happens to Ted. No, not all of that happens to Ted, but that's the, that's the part of Ted we don't see, right? Like, off screen, we know Ted is struggling at home. I actually looked up because I was like, wait, why is she even with her aunt and uncle? And it was actually wicked 
Wicked is the only one that tells you that they died. They died in a boating accident, and her aunt, uncle adopted her. I don't know if that was canon in the book, so forgive me if that's like in the book. It's such a series of books, and I only read the first one. But my understanding is, I I don't think it was explained how they died. But but in fact, her parents have died, and her aunt and uncle adopted her. So. I just I think I assumed it was like Great Depression related, <laughs> right? Not, I mean, right. But I don't know why that doesn't make any sense since the book was written in 1900, right? Like it doesn't make any sense. But because of when the movie came out, that's and and yes. like at that point, like all the books that I knew that took place in the Great Depression took place in places like Kansas. So like that was my parallel. Illogical, but there you have it. You know, and Ted lost his father. I think he was struggling with his relationship with Michelle. Um, and we under we learned in season three, right, that he was also struggling with his responsibilities with Henry, and possibly, you know, even though he wanted to be with Henry, there was a struggle there in their relationship too. So we see all of that off screen, right? Like when we start Ted Lasso, he is already in Oz, i.e., Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> so you know, I mean, and, and you know, it is a little bit about kind of you know, like I said you know, Dorothy fucked around and found out, but Dorothy was kind of being, you know, messing around, got herself caught in the middle of this tornado. And it's like, you know, there's a little bit of like why Ted threw such caution to the wind with his career and accepted this job, you know, like, I mean, just like, what was his thought process when he got the call? Like, did he, you know, I think about that a lot. Like, I want to see that. I want to see the prequel, the Ted Lasso prequel. (laughs) When he gets the call, did he say yeah? Was he just like, okay, yes. And like, in a in a Ted Lasso-y, you know, like, I did this. Or did he talk to Michelle about it and they agreed that it would be good? Or did he take it to Dr. You know, Dr. Jacob or I don't know. I... Or how that conversation went with Beard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. The other thing is, you know, like I said, we also learning in t- season three that he it was kind of scared of his, of Henry and kind of, losing him and all of that and there was that element of him kind of running away like Dorothy was clearly struggling with her responsibilities in the start like feeling a little bit unloved ignored not cared for and kind of there's they both kind of have this slight running away aspect to them of what we know of what happened to Ted again off screen so season one of Ted Lasso starts Dorothy lands in Oz there's you know definitely more of a celebration to her coming and like killing you know the fact that the house fell on the witch and all of that and I don't think there was the same kind of joy around Ted joining, but there was a lot of hoopla. Um, you know, even Rebecca said in the first, I don't remember her exact quote, but she says in the conference room when they're all they're all freaking out about why he's there. And she's like, has has there ever been this much press? You know, like, have you guys ever cared this much about this team? Um, so there was definitely something around him joining, maybe not quite the same joy that the little munchkins were having for Dorothy. Does that make George the Wicked Witch of the East? <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to, that is in my notes, yes. Does she land on these balls or something? Like... <laughs> and they shriveled right up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some sense, maybe he did kill the Wicked, you know, that dude. Lo- Leon, Liam and Noel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so that that all happens. Like I said, there's definitely, you know, the hoopla around him and stuff. And then Dorothy immediately, you know, kind of, like they all talk about Oz and how Oz is going to be the the savior. And so Dorothy immediately kind of goes on that journey. And I think that's like right when we start to meet the team. You know, there are a lot of expectations about 
what Dorothy, you know, the fact that she had killed the queen and like what she could do and what Ted, you know, the expectations of Ted. I think, I think we all know that, you know, Rebecca was expecting him to fail. I think a lot of people probably did have more of a fail, fail expectation of him. Not that he, I don't think anyone actually believed he was going to turn this team around at all. They all thought it was a joke. Some slight differences there, but just these are like the beats, the same beats around both stories. Dorothy kind of immediately needed to find this thing beyond her to save her and find happiness. And I think that that was definitely something in sports for sure. But uh, in Ted Lasso about how they, you know, they needed, they needed to stay in the Premier League. They needed the cup. They needed, you know, they need all this stuff. out. Everyone needs all this stuff outside of them to make them feel better about themselves and to make them a success and all this kind of thing, right? Then we start to meet the team, right? So the team is Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Lion. The Scarecrow needed his brains, the Tin Man needed a heart, and the Lion needed his courage. All three claim that they need these things, but show other talents or even glimpses of what they claim they need Oz to give them all. They already have it, but they don't see it. When I think about the characters in the show, I mean, I think that they're a little bit of everything, kind of maybe a little bit what was shown when we were saying what we thought we saw in ourselves, right? That maybe we could actually fall into a few of the different, you know, we could fall into all three in some way, you know, but I think Roy is both the lion and the tin man. Jamie is the tin man and scarecrow. Colin, I think is more definitely the lion, but maybe a little bit, you know, maybe glimpses of the other two as well. Sam was the lion and the scarecrow. I feel like Rebecca, Nate and Rupert were all the tin man. I think that, you know, I think all three of them had, well, maybe not Nate, Rebecca and Rupert definitely had courage. Probably Nate needed some scarecrow as well, but uh, Rebecca and Rupert definitely had had a lot of courage and brains. They just were, they needed heart in very different ways. <laughs> Rupert needed needed to have a heart because he had nothing where I feel like Rebecca just felt she had too much. She cared too much about her heart and thinking that she needed, right? That she needed to find someone to be happy. And so, yeah, like, again, I don't, I don't know if you guys feel the same or if you if if you guys all had like a specific person for each character. I really saw it more as this mix of everybody. Well, I do. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But cool. one thing that I was when you were talking that kind of struck me is that honestly, and, and I think this applies to us as well. Right. You know. Michaela said, oh, I was going to choose the scarecrow and she was equating it to not having brains, which we yes. we scold her for anyway. But the fact of the matter is the scarecrow had brains all along. Yes. Right. Yeah. It was about his confidence behind having it. The parallels I'm going to be drawing are more about which characteristics they did have, like who had the brains the way the scarecrow had brains yes. um, as opposed to not having them. And so I think that the way you're describing it with them sort of overlapping and having a little bit of each makes the most sense. But it's also a question of like, what do they not recognize in themselves, even though others might recognize it in them? Totally. Good point. Yeah. I really like that. Right. Because again, through all three seasons, I think each of these characters, we see different pieces of them come and go. And, and again, like, you know, I think, Colin definitely needed some more confidence, but he was very thoughtful. He was using his brains a lot. He was conniving a lot about how to hide, how to hide what he wanted, you know, didn't want to say about himself. And he definitely had a lot of heart. He cared a lot, right? Like he had those. Except when he was Billy and Nate a little bit. Mm. So 
Yeah, I can see what yeah. you're saying. There's a bit of everything in there. There's a little bit of everything in all of them. Yeah. And so, yes, like, and, you know, I, if, and I think it was shown very clearly in the movie again, like I said, that like, they clearly had all of these talents already, but they couldn't see it. And I think the team was the same way. I'll just kind of go on. The next thing that happens, right, is they find Oz and kind of Oz lets them down. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's for me where I started to see Oz as the believe sign and Ted and the believe sign only took them through season one. Right. And it was in season two that we start to see it falter. Right. And that was where they, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think that, I think that people were so amazed by some of the success that had happened and some of the things that were going on and that when it didn't really come all the way through, when it didn't continue, you know, Ted started, a lot of his edges started to really fray and show um there started you know that that forward momentum that they had was not working was not happening mm-hmm. you know ted's mojo seemed to be falling you know um the sign uh the sign and ted and all of that was only limited help they all needed to believe in themselves maybe that's you know that was the fourth thing they needed or you yeah. know that that's the thing they needed to believe that they had this stuff already um well, and even ahead. the idea of the the believe sign you know when ted hangs it back up but it's really ripped in half that's sort of the the curtain if you will yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i love this i i love everything that you're talking about <laughs> here ted and oz were both only people with their own struggles. And we, you know, definitely saw a lot more of Ted's struggles and, you know, Oz's struggles and his, you know, kind of like, it was so interesting to me how like, just he changed so fast in the movie, right? Like they kind of, yeah. him and he admits, he's like, okay, well, I'm great. I'm going to get back on my balloon and go. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, <laughs> dude. <laughs> right. And we see a lot more of Ted's obviously. And then, you know, then the whole, but the whole thing about how they had to go kill this evil thing, um, and that's where definitely the brain's courage and heart really persevere and they really all show themselves that they had it already. You know, that moment, that moment when the belief sign, you know, when, when, I, you know, Isaac hits the belief sign and splits and everyone's just like, oh my God, it's a sign of something. Right. And everyone's panicking and freaking out, you know, even though they all kept a piece of the sign, it wasn't the sign. It was that they needed to, they needed to read the sign and understand the sign. Right. It wasn't the sign. But the fact that they all kept a piece in it, and oh my god, that fucking scene! Um, I know when they're all putting it down. Oh I'm just god, thinking about it a bunch. You know, get all weepy. It's all the places they take it from as well. You know, like Isaac yes. having it and his little captain's band, yes. and just and their shin guards, and it's so cute. Yes, and the book. Oh my god, and the book. Yeah, <laughs> when Jamie pulled that book out. And pulled the, his piece from there. I lost it. I just yeah. Lost it. <laughs> I love how that's probably like, like we were among four among very few people who were just like that was the moment. That was <laughs> the, the moment. The group chat went wild. <laughs> I think it was Andrea first. Was like the book, the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the, but the sign is only limited help. They needed to believe in themselves. You know, I think in season three, that's when the hope believe they show they can't persevere. They. They learned how to work together and to like take each other's, you know, skills and things. And like they, they ebbed and flowed with it. Right. Like the whole yeah. the way they were playing wasn't you're this person and you're always going to be good in this one thing. No, you're going to be this player and then you're going to move over here and be this person. And then you're going to, cause you have all, we all have all of these talents. Yeah. 
And that's basically what they all learned together, the four of them in the movie, and that they had it inside them all along. And so that was, I mean, that's kind of what I, the extent of what I wrote about this. But for me, it was, it's, it was just really interesting to kind of see how the beats of Wizard of Oz really did play into the seasons. And like I said, something I hadn't paid attention to until we got into this. I think when you say that, I think that's the thing about Ted Lasso is when you, you're saying they had it in them all along. For me, that's Ted Lasso, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's what Ted Lasso's trying to tell us. Yes, that you have it all along. And, you know, and I feel like Oz comes into, uh, Oz appears in Ted Lasso in several ways. Like I said, I really feel like it's the belief sign and the way I've thought of it through. But, mm-hmm. you know, at one point, Jamie is Oz. At one point, Danny Rojas is Oz. At one point, Zava is Oz, right? Like all mm-hmm. these other people that are supposed to be coming in and like making their team, you know, the two aces and the, mm-hmm. you know, all this kind of stuff. And even Ted Lasso himself, that somehow it's up to this one person or this one thing to make them have this, you know, and, and again, even, even the cup itself, even winning the Premier League is this like this one thing. And I feel, mm-hmm. I honestly like the fact that they didn't get it in the end. Mm-hmm. They were still this team united, you know, like they again. They didn't need. They didn't need the cup. They still I, won, but they, you know, didn't win. Oh yeah, but you, yeah. They didn't but that's get, what I mean. Yeah. They they didn't win, but they they won. They won. They personally won, won, right? Yes, yes. On Twitter, we asked you what is your favorite piece of Wizard of Oz media. Har Har three R seventy six says there's a Wizard of Oz commemorative pop up book that's pretty fantastic. Kids love it because of the engaging illustrations and it retells the original story with kid-friendly succinctness. I'm a kid in spirit, so I love it. Lasso Trash says, I love the 1939 film. Not only did it begin my love for musicals, it was one of the three videos my grandma had in English, along with The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. She is no longer here, so it reminds me of her. Explains why I love this show so much. Bohemian Sis says, The 1939 movie is my first and forever favourite movie. An Arts Notebook says, Throughout the 80s, the 1939 film used to be shown on TV 38 in Boston, a UHF station every Thanksgiving. I loved the Ruby Slippers so much, and when I was three years old, I wasn't Bridget, I only answered to Dorothy. Now back to the podcast. Excellent, Andrea, I really enjoyed that. And Bex, you're going to take us a bit further down the yellow brick road. Ooh, that was a beautiful transition. Smooth, right? (laughs) Well, I talked about what I'm going to talk about today. I talked a little bit uh, on Lasso Cast when we were uh, on that for their season three, episode 11, Mom City recap episode. Um, But I'm going to talk about character parallels as well. And I think the first three are going to be pretty straightforward, but the last couple might be up for debate. And um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on my takes here. So it all kind of connects back to what I was talking about with the coaching staff uh, in our last episode as well when we did whatever book we did last. Total coaching. Uh, yes, the, 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 the miracle of Castel di Sangro and the coaching. Yes. I was going to say, can't remember the book. Remember total coaching. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with Dorothy's three companions. And um, I'm going to go in the order that she met them. So first, the scarecrow, right? For me, the scarecrow is Beard. Beard is the brains of the operation, but he doesn't always see himself that way. 
And this attitude is reaffirmed in the scene where he goes to Nate and tells him his backstory with Ted. I think that that piece really solidified it for me because we get to see he didn't always use the brains that he had to his best uh, ability. Because I'm kind of focusing a bit throughout the movie, but specifically this final scene in Oz right before uh, the balloon takes off. So in this scene, Dorothy's saying goodbye to everyone, and she tells the scarecrow that she will miss him most of all. Well, it's not my personal take, but I'll get to that later. But for those who might read Dorothy as Ted, this makes the most sense, right? They've known each other the longest. They've had the closest connection. Of course, she would miss him the most. The way the scarecrow moves, like, it's giving beard. Like, if I, he's just so, like, lanky and goofy and, you know... They're both kind of scruffy and gangly. Beard falls down a lot. Yes. Well, and, and in the book, I think that the scarecrow, that that's a, a point is really made of the scarecrow falling down a lot. I know there's Pratt falls in the in the movie too, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. It really like it's it's a whole thing, right? I, I mean, maybe some of those aspects are a little more superficial, but I think they work. And neither character is as scary as they want to be, right? The scarecrow's like, I can't even scare a crow. You know, it doubles down in the whiz as well. Like, it, it, it's the same issue. And Beard, like, he tries to act tough and, like, his silent mode is going to, like, freak people out. And it makes, it puts people on edge a little bit, but they're not necessarily afraid of him. You know, Jamie might not know how to talk to him, but he at least was comfortable enough to say, I don't even know how to talk to you <laughs> instead of scooting away. And there's one point where the scarecrow says, I won't try to manage things because I can't think. And this reminds me of Beard as well, right? He can think, so can the scarecrow, but they're both too afraid to admit it. So they're willing to take the sidekick role, right? Beard is not the head coach. He wasn't the head coach in Kansas. He is... It's almost like he doesn't think he can necessarily do the job without Ted there, right? He doesn't have the confidence. He doesn't have the the guidance, the, you know, he doesn't have the yellow brick road to follow down if he doesn't have Ted, if the Scarecrow doesn't have Dorothy. So they're willing to be like just the side character, but, you know, a favorite side character, I guess. And then we've got the Tin Man. The Tin Man to me is without a doubt if I'm looking at the coaching staff, Roy Kent, he thinks he doesn't have a heart. The difference is that the Tin Man openly acknowledges he wants one, while Roy does everything to protect himself from even acknowledging that he has one. <laughs> but people see through it, right? In the scene where the wizard is doling out the different like gifts to remind them of the skills they have, the wizard gives the Tin Man the heart but talks about how people act with less heart so that they're not vulnerable to hurt. And I think that's where Roy is. The wizard lets the Tin Man know that he has had a heart all along, and Roy learns to open up his heart. One moment in particular that stands out to me around this is when Roy is talking about how he wasn't in Keeley's photo shoot and how it hurt his feeling. Singular. <laughs> This is like the beginning of him acknowledging that he does, in fact, have a heart. You know, so I think that's that like, okay, maybe there's something there. Maybe I'll let myself be vulnerable to those around me. Maybe I'm going to open up here. When the Tin Man tells Dorothy to knock on his chest and to him, the sound is a reminder that he doesn't have a heart. 
But what I love in this scene of The Wizard of Oz is the scarecrow says, beautiful, what an echo. And this is just a, a perfect example of not seeing your greatness when others do. Beard knows how great it is to have someone like Roy on the coaching staff. He gets it. He understands. Roy doesn't see that in himself. Now, Beard's not the one going after him. You know, that's Ted in trying to recruit him to be a coach. But it's still that idea of like different perspectives on like, okay, maybe him like protecting his heart is what made him such like a determined player which made him a skilled player, which made him a skilled coach in this particular instance. I know it's not always strictly linear like that, but. Yeah. And it's also, you made me really think about, I thought I was really interesting too, right? Like we, we definitely saw very quickly how Nate was uncomfortable when, when Roy was brought on as a coach and he felt that tension and that like disbelief in himself. And then to find out that and like Roy seemed fine and then to find out in season three, like he felt like once Nate was gone, how he then became the one yeah. that, you know. He wasn't the strategist. Yeah, Nate's good at the stuff I'm not good at. That's exactly what he says, right? Mm-hmm. Now, emotions. Let's talk about emotions with the Tin Man and Roy. Emotions make the Tin Man cry, which makes him rust and freeze up. Just like Roy. Now, Roy doesn't shed tears. But if he does, it'd be a single man tier. We all know yeah. that. <laughs> Shout out to my Twitter <laughs> nice handle. Nice reference. <laughs> Supernatural reference for anybody who doesn't know. Yes. Anyone who wonders why, that's my my Twitter handle. But it's true. Like anytime there's some potential vulnerability, Roy shuts it down. He mm-hmm. locks up. Maybe not physically, although we'll get to that in a moment. Um but emotionally he does he shuts it down he's like i don't want to talk about this i don't want to deal with this and yet throughout the show we see these little moments where he's like well maybe i'll be a diamond dog or maybe i don't want to be a diamond dog but i want to share this with you and like you know he's yeah. he's kind of dipping his toe in that feeling <laughs> pool. and also the way he is with phoebe right like especially mm. the, the swearing stuff when he's like you shouldn't swear like me. Somebody without a heart doesn't act like that. They don't. They don't care. And so you, it's like going back to what Andrea said. It, it was there the whole time. He just didn't know how to use it, right? Exactly. My final Roy Tin Man parallel is the bad knees. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like he literally, Roy will literally take hold of his knee and wiggle it around until it pops and cracks back into place which is just what the Tin Man does when he's like gets the oil on his joints, right? right? He's like, you know, and I love that moment when he sort of sways side to side and it's fun and it's light in the movie. But like, you know, if you don't move, if you don't like take care of yourself, you're going to get rusted up Mm -hmm. emotionally or physically or both. I have to interject here. The one thing that annoyed, I so I watched, I think we both did. I watched Wizard of Oz and then The Wiz right after. Man, this, the Tin Man scene in Wiz was not cool. Like they added a, a completely sexual element to the, the Tin Man being oiled up. That was gross. And like, yeah, it was gross. That's all. I just, I just have to call that out. I was <laughs> so disgusted. Yeah, well... <laughs> Maybe maybe that's a cut scene from Roy and Keeley. 
Yeah. <laughs> Dorothy's final companion down the yellow brick road or final final companion that she encounters, we'll say, is the cowardly lying. So rounding out with what I think are the more obvious parallels, again, I'm primarily focusing on coaching. I have Nate as the cowardly lion. He starts off without the courage to stand up for himself. Jamie, Isaac, and Colin all push him around and bully him in the first season, and he just takes it. The lion puts on a tough front, and Nate gets to that point, too. Mm -hmm. He starts acting tough around the other coaches and the players. The lion calls the scarecrow a lopsided bag of straw. Like he's actually doling out insults as his defense mechanism. And Nate is very much the same. You know, he says things like, we could always show him his goddamn paycheck when talking about Danny's case of the yips mm -hmm. and telling Colin that he's like a hotel painting. That was that was the, probably one of the coldest insults I think I've ever heard. Yeah. yeah. Brutal. Yeah. It was awful. And we I think we get more upset at at Nate because there, there's a little more depth to it than we do at the Cowardly Lion. Um, Plus, he's cute. The Cowardly Lion's like <laughs> fluffy, but since something's fluffy, it's hard to be really annoyed. <laughs> I mean, Nick Nick Muhammad's kind of fluffy. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like not all over. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, in either case, it is a defense mechanism for both of them, right? If I throw insults at someone else, if I'm hurting them, then I can't be hurt. Yeah. yeah. They both pick on those who are seemingly smaller or weaker than them. The lion goes after Toto and Nate goes after people like Will and Colin. The lion sings, if I were king of the forest, and I'm not about to do that for you, um, but there you go. <laughs> And Nate becomes, at least in his own mind, a sort of king when he moves to West Ham, at mm -hmm. least initially, right? He's like, well, now I've made it. Now I'm like, I've got this. And that's what he wanted all along was that like the king is the one who's getting all the attention. And mm -hmm. Nate wants all that positive attention on him. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to move to my potentially more controversial parallels. And that involves Dorothy and the wizard. So given that Ted is the fourth coach, it makes sense that people see him as Dorothy, right? I, I've heard that yeah. a lot and, mm -hmm. and I get it. Andre, that's one of the parallels you were making. Yeah. Like he even says some of her lines in the series. So it's not a hard jump to make, you know, and Rebecca is the head of AFC Richmond and she manipulates people, especially Ted early on in the series. So drawing a parallel between her and the wizard could definitely work, but I'm going to swap them. I think Rebecca is Dorothy and Ted is the wizard. So mm -hmm. here we go. <laughs> Rebecca is Dorothy. She thinks she can do things on her own, but realizes that while she can, you know, because it was inside her all the, the whole time, it doesn't hurt to have help and friends and support. Dorothy calls herself small and meek and Rebecca has to make herself big, right? She has this technique because she feels like the little girl that we see in the mirror in season three. Mm -hmm. Sure, Dorothy gets the promise of returning home. She has to find her way there herself through the ruby slippers. I don't think the ruby slippers, because everyone's like, well, why didn't she just tell her that at the beginning? Why did she make her go on this whole journey? Because there was a lesson to be learned, and that's yeah. what had to happen, mm -hmm. right? Dorothy had to realize that it was inside her all along. 
Rebecca realizes that she's the one who makes her home and who her family is, even if it's not a traditional family. Dorothy had to find her way back to Kansas by learning it for herself. Rebecca had to learn to stay in Richmond for the love of Richmond on her own, as opposed to for revenge or spite or anything like that. And she also had the help of her friends. Dorothy says the following about the lesson she had to learn. She says, I think that it wasn't enough to want to see Uncle Henry and Auntie M. And it's that if I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard because if it isn't there, I never really lost it to begin with. So basically the lesson Dorothy has to learn is that she can find happiness at home. And I think that's what Rebecca realizes. Home is AFC Richmond and with yeah. our hot flying Dutchman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the wizard then. I understand there are a lot of cases as to Rebecca being the wizard, but hear me out. Sure, she officially made Roy the manager of AFC Richmond and kept Beard and Nate on board with him. But Ted is the one who made them a team of coaches. The wizard is the man behind the curtain. He shows his tough side through the projection that he has that like as a child scares us all. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but underneath, he's a softie. Ted has Led Tasso. Led Tasso is the projection of the wizard, right? The tough side. Ted is the man behind the curtain. He pulls all the levers that makes the team happen. He recognizes and acknowledges the strengths of the coaches and the players. There's a point where the wizard literally says, I'm an old Kansas man myself. So I'll oh, take that as a little check in the box for my favor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In the end of Wizard of Oz, Scarecrow gets a diploma to symbolize the brains that he had all along, and Beard got his second chance with Ted back in the day, and finally gets to use his. The diploma also represents the recognition of the Scarecrow's brains, and I think that Ted's blessing on the plane to Beard also works as a form of recognition that Beard doesn't need Ted anymore. Yeah. Go out and do this on your own. You can. You have yeah. what it takes. The Tin Man receives a token of esteem and affection from the wizard, along with advice to remember that a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. Roy, too, learns that he is loved by Ted, by Jamie, by Phoebe, by the Diamond Dogs, and yes, even by Keeley, right? Whether or not they're together doesn't matter. She still has love for him. Mm -hmm. And a little bit by Miss Bowen. <laughs> <laughs> well that's fine too <laughs> is she the fuck witch of the north or the south then oh <laughs> yeah marita in for the win there mm -hmm. well done i love it <laughs> but this is something that roy was able to achieve through ted's esteem and affection right you know but also the other characters right again going back to what andrea was saying it's not necessarily a one for one i just sort of see this yeah. this connection here mm -hmm. And the lion receives a medal to symbolize the courage he had within him all along from the wizard. Nate gets his second chance. He apologizes to those around him and is recognized for his changes. It takes courage to make those changes and to stand up for what's right. You know, he could have easily just kept hiding away in his room. Yeah. Nate took the long road to get there, uh, a yellow brick road, you might say, but he did eventually get there. And then finally... Just before the wizard takes off in the hot air balloon, he says the following. And this is the part that like really landed it for me in terms of these parallels. 
And I hereby decree that by what time, if any, that I return, the scarecrow, by virtue of his highly superior brains, shall rule in my stead, assisted by the tin man, by virtue of his magnificent heart, and the lion, by virtue of his courage. Obey them as you would me. Thank you. And so I know Rebecca appointed them as the coaches, but that last little bit, obey them as you would me, I, if that isn't Ted, like, I don't, I don't know yeah. what is. So mm -hmm. to me, that that's why Ted is the wizard more so than Dorothy. Although those two are clearly like the, the lines a little blurrier between those two than it is for the other three. I'm in a position where you and Andrea have said different things, but I agree with them both. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's like th these things can both fit. And mm -hmm. I love it. Well, I, I mean, that's important because otherwise it, we would only have one story. Yeah. Right? If we can't read it in slightly different ways, then then all stories are going to be the same. Like we can't have yeah. a one for one parallel to Wizard of Oz exactly, mm -hmm, exactly beat by beat. We can have some major beats and then we can have some character parallels, but not. It yeah, can't tell fair. the same exact story. It's boring. The important thing here is that we all agree that it can be different and we respect each other's opinion. Yes. You know, I feel like that's something that got ugly. I'm going to just say it. I'm going to say it. But there was, some, there was some ugliness in the in the fandom in the end about if some people didn't agree with other people's opinion. Either way, I'm not finding one group. It was uh, several groups. Mm -hmm. What they saw was it. And if anyone couldn't see it, they were an idiot. All dead. That was yeah. a quote. That was not me saying that. That yeah. was quotes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. And we're not like that here. No. We accept all views. No rules, no gods, no masters. Yes. Woohoo. Awesome. Wizards. I'll get tattoos, guys. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Time for some more of your favourite Wizard of Oz media comments. KCDC25 says, Wicked. Lana J. Winter says, I've loved the 1939 film for as long as I can remember. I'm also fascinated by the fact that they had multiple ruby red slippers and they all disappeared for years. Leah Shrub says, it's been too long since I've seen The Wizard of Oz or anything to pick a favourite, but when the gaffer clicked his red shoes together, I knew exactly where he was heading. Komishika says, a fan of the 1939 film for as long as I can remember was also recently reminded of the nightmare-fueled return to Oz that came out when I was a kid. Still a fan. I love to hear that. E. Page Green says that the best of the whole amazing series of L. Frank Baum's books is The Patchwork Girl of Oz. Jazz and Kaz says, I love the film. Underlying everything you need is in you. A brain, a heart, courage and somewhere you call home. Because there's no place like it. Ted Lasso down to a T. Briggs66Ken says, Notes on a Cowardly Lion. Astonishing book. The biography of Bert Lahr by his son and brilliant critic John Lahr. Now back to the podcast. That was fantastic, Bex. I really enjoyed it. I think Marita is going to take us through the gates of the Emerald City. Yes, we will see. Um, I've got a little bit on a lot of different topics here, so we are going on quite a journey. I've seen the film so many times that I decided to dive in and, and do a little more reading. So most of my source work that I'm going to talk about is from two places. Uh, one of those is the annotated Wizard of Oz. So it's the original text by L. Frank Baum and annotated with an introduction as well by my Michael Patrick Hearn. If if you love the Wizard of Oz and you haven't yet seen that version, the, the amount of context that Hearn adds is just amazing. So it's absolutely worth finding and reading. 
Salman Rushdie actually wrote a piece analyzing the film Wizard of Oz for the British Film Institute. It's in short book form and it's just, ex- I mean, saying Salman Rushdie is an amazing writer is not exactly a revelation, but it is a, a really great, uh, a really great piece and worth reading if you love the film. So I'm going to start off just quickly with my my pitch for Ted is Dorothy. I think that's a, a common one. It's it's not a, a fight or a bone to pick with Bex. It's just some parallels. All sorts of folks on the internet have pointed this out. You know, the obvious ones that they're both from Canvas. They travel away from home. Both of them tend to use courtesy and deference as a survival strategy. When I was doing this, I made a really conscious point about not spending a lot of time on Twitter because a lot of people have done really great work on Twitter and other social medias with these parallels, but I didn't want to just rehash what everyone else was saying. But one thing I did do, there's a Twitter user, Memily, who is Mimi Ai. She's written Mandalay Recipes and Tales from a Burmese Kitchen. Oh, yeah. I've got her book. It's fantastic. And she's got a, a short thread. And one of the things she includes is information that Dorothy and Theodore are both variants on the same name, which means gift from God. And especially if you consider that Ted is a Theodore and his mom is Dottie, which is a Dorothy, that kind of makes Ted a feminine junior, which I love that as just a little (laughs) I love it. At the end, when Ted's coaching in that last game, he's got his red Nikes, which are ruby slippers. Uh, Incidentally, in the book, they're not. They're silver slippers. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a, a big change for Technicolor they had. Yeah, that w- silver slippers would have just been boring if we finally yeah. had color. <laughs> oh, I, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The story in both cases is bookended by the leave leaving and the return to Kansas. Yeah. Uh, the book is interesting because we don't have the dramatic tension with Dorothy leading up to the trip of Oz, right? There's no threat to Toto. She isn't running away or anything. We got like two pages of Kansas before we get to the tornado. But in the film, we get Auntie M and she's kind of giving Dorothy a little bit of scolding. And what Auntie M says is you always get yourself into a fret about nothing. Find yourself a place where you won't get into any trouble. Right. And that's exactly what Ted is trying to do in, Mm. in the show, right. As he is, he's talked about how everything he tries to do with Michelle makes things worse. She needs space. So he is going someplace where he will not cause trouble for her. Right. It's, it's very literal giving her space because he is, I think in the cartography discussion, they talk about exactly how far away, but it's very, very far. So you have that parallel too. Jason Sudeikis has talked about the structure of Ted Lasso by invoking Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And uh, I'm quoting Hearn here in his introduction. He says, many readers have noted how the story follows the simple threefold mythic path of the classical hero as defined by Joseph Campbell in the highly influential The Hero with a Thousand Faces. So you get separation, you get descent and return. So Hearn points out that Campbell didn't actually consider the Wizard of Oz in any of his writings, but it, it really, really fits that structure. And, and deliberately, so does Ted Lasso. You can also see similarities between Ted's arrival in England and when Dorothy and her ensemble arrive in the Emerald City. It's what Rushdie calls the Hicks from the Sticks arriving in the metropolis, I even though those that. Hicks go on to save the day. <laughs> So there are all of those parallels there with Ted and Dorothy, but I I also want to bring up, because in this introduction and in the annotations, you learn a lot about Frank Baum and who he was and what he was like. And there's actually a lot of Frank Baum and Ted too. From the superficial, both of them were left-handed. Baum switched jobs a lot, and for a while he was working in sales and he had to travel for his job all the time, and that's when he had his sons and they were really young and he hated being away from them for so much. And actually writing was a way for him to kind of get anchored and make enough money he could just spend his time with his kids. It's mentioned in the annotations, but you'll also see it in the book. He loved puns, right? There are so many examples in the book. So like the first time the Scarecrow speaks, he has a, quote, husky voice, right? Corn husks, terrible pun, lovely, right? Love it. <laughs> I love it. 
Mm-hmm. At the end, when uh, the wizard in the book is giving the scarecrow brains, he literally fills his head. He takes the straw out and fills it with a mixture of bran and pins, which you can portmanteau into brains, right? And like he's like, I've given you a lot of bran new brains, which is another terrible pun. Later on, he's thinking really hard. The pins start like sticking out of his head. And someone remarks that's because he's very sharp. Right? It is like all the way through. There are terrible Ted puns everywhere. Dad jokes galore. I've never read the book. And I think I need like, I've I've never, I mean, I've only ever seen the movie. So yeah, it's structurally pretty different, but it's, it's, it's worth reading. It's fun. It's short. There's other examples of fun with language when Dorothy meets the lion because the lion is kind of perplexed by the tin man being made of tin and this scarecrow being stuffed with straw and he sees Toto and there's no dogs in Oz, right? And he asks what Toto is. Is he made of tin? Is he stuffed? And she says, neither. He's a a meat dog. And I don't know why that construction reminded me so much of feet, fingers and hand toes and the other random like constructions that Ted makes, but it's this total wordplay thing that has Mm -hmm. going on. In the book, the Emerald City isn't actually all green, right? You get to the Emerald City and they tell you you're going to be blinded by the dazzles. So they fix these goggles onto people and actually lock them on the back of their head. Mm -hmm. And the goggles have green lenses. So you see everything is green. And that very much red is Ted with his like rose colored glasses that he sees everything with. Or the darker ones that he puts on when he's led Tasso. That forced vision of the world I thought was really interesting. Very smart. That is very smart. I'm I'm impressed. And so Ted Lasso, like the show has references to religion, but it's not explicitly, or or perhaps better to say explicitly not religious, right? He'll talk about God or gods or whatever. So kind of unusual for Baum's time, though, is the Wizard of Oz, at least in book form, was the same way, and it very much reflects Baum's belief. So I'm going to quote Hearn again. Baum could not fathom the idea of a wrathful godhead, a theme that runs throughout the Oz books. He did not believe in unredeemable villainy and evil. He had no sympathy for the preachings of hellfire and damnation of his Methodist ancestors. Good acts were more important to him than good intentions. And so not only does that kind of fit with what's going on with Ted Lasso, but very much Ted as a character, right? Ted sees everyone is capable of redemption. No one is inherently evil, right? He tries to see the good potential in everyone. Yeah. And this is a great story I like because Baum, very much like Ted and much to Ted's chagrin, Dottie, likes to just spin a tall tale. Mm -hmm. So this is from Hearn's annotations. He says, in a letter to Jack Snow, Baum's nephew, Henry B. Brewster, reported, so now I'm quoting the letter, Mr. Baum always liked to tell wild stories with a perfectly straight face and earnestly as though he really believed them himself. His mother was very religious and felt she knew her Bible very well. Frank Baum seemed to take particular delight in teasing her, and I recall not once but many times how he'd pretend to quote from the Bible with which he definitely was not familiar. For example, once she said, Frank, you are telling a story, and he said, well, mother, as you know, in St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, he said, all men are liars. Okay, so that's absolutely not in there, right? He was like making shit up to screw with people, make come like, so she had to go back to the Bible and like check to see it's not in there but that like embellishment of stories and his mom does it too is so absolutely ted just straight faced you know yeah well that reminds me of when i got arrested in my pajamas when i went to the prom right (laughs) like that's that's just really really ted so my conclusion here is even if ted and frank Baum aren't the same guy they would fucking love each other Mm -hmm. and they would irritate the shit out of roy (laughs) like drive (laughs) him nuts truth truth until season three, when Roy starts dropping puns and then says, oh my God, I hate you, you talking to me. 
that was genius. I love that. that was so much. good. And Brett played it so well, like he really looked quite disgusted with himself. It was amazing. But he couldn't stop. It was so good. <laughs> So there are a couple of parallels I saw to other books we've covered, if not necessarily the story of the books so much as the context of the books uh, or something that's happening in the books. And one of these is actually beautiful and damned. So when we talked about that, I talked about how Fitzgerald's writing at the time was notably different than what other people were doing and how it used the voice as youth instead of like a morality tale. Mm -hmm. And The Wizard of Oz was actually the way that way too. So quoting Hearn again, Baum knew what a child liked. He filled his chapters with casual and comic conversations quite different from the usually stilted language spoken in most contemporary juveniles. He defined character by action and reaction rather than through elaborate description. He despised the overtly didactic, so his tales are generally free of the cloying sentimentality and moralizing which lard the now forgotten but once admired children's literature of the last, and by last he means 19th century. So in the same way that it, they're definitely the beautiful and damned and wizard of oz are not written in the same style <laughs> i'm not arguing <laughs> that what i am arguing is that there are very much a departure from what was being written at the time yeah. for people covering people of those ages and that mm -hmm. includes johnny tremaine we discussed that during johnny tremaine yeah, as well tremaine yes too. beautiful and damned and the wizard of oz and i would argue ted lasso all use a lot of color symbolism as well and mm -hmm. so that's that's interesting uh, and then i i spotted something with miss peregrine's home for peculiar children and when we talked about that, I talked about there being a lot of door symbolism. Jacob needs to go through portals and doors and hide behind doors for his story. In our podcast episode, we talked about Ted's struggle with doors, how he runs into them, hits his head on things, how Dr. Sharon closes him out with his door, and then he struggles to go through her door. So this isn't in the book, but in the film, there's a lot of door symbolism right at the beginning. And so this, I'm going to quote from Rushdie's piece on The Wizard of Oz. As befits a threshold moment, there is much business involving windows and doors. First, the farmhands open up the doors of the storm shelter, and Uncle Henry, heroic as ever, persuades Auntie M they can't afford to wait for Dorothy. Second, Dorothy, returning from, with Toto from her attempt at running away, struggles against the wind to open the screen door of the main house. This outer door is instantly ripped from his hinges and blows away. Third, we see the others closing the door of the storm shelter. Fourth, Dorothy, inside the house, opens and shuts the doors of various rooms, calling out frantically for Auntie M. Fifth, Dorothy goes to the storm shelter, but its doors are locked against her. Sixth, Dorothy retreats back inside the main house, her cries for Auntie M now weak and fearful, whereupon a window echoing the screen door blows off its hinges and knocks her cold. So the scenes in the film, and it, it's so much more door and passage centric than what we have in the film, but it's really interesting that they use so much of that door imagery in, in all three places. And it, you know, it's a device that people use, but I think that's an interesting parallel there. I do think it's funny in the book when Dorothy leaves the farmhouse, she really carefully locks the door behind her, even though she will never be back to that farmhouse again, right? She's such a well-behaved little girl. So I thought those parallels were interesting. Uh, I wanted to talk just quickly about feminism in The Wizard of Oz and in Ted Lasso. Uh, and I think that's worth mentioning, especially for its time. This is a, a very standout film in that we have a self-rescuing princess here, right? The, the heroine of our story is indeed the heroine of our story. She has a little bit of help, but she is the driving force. Uh, and there's a reason for that in the story. So Baum's mother-in-law in real life was a very prominent suffragette. Her name was Matilda Jocelyn Gage. She had a lot of influence on him and his writing, right? She, she was pretty hardcore. So Hearn, in his annotation when he's writing about Dorothy, says she has the indomitable spirit of the early suffragists. When Susan B. Anthony was out in South Dakota in 1890 campaigning for women's rights, she refused to seek shelter in a storm cellar from an approaching twister like the others did. 
a little thing like a cyclone doesn't frighten me she said right so like this just um, pulled straight from a, like a suffragette's actual behavior and right into Baum's writing and and moving forward into the book I think that's amazing that's fascinating there have been arguments based on some things in his other books that he wasn't very feminist, but those things are kind of debated. I only read this book, but I think it's pretty clear from his content that Baum was at least ahead of his time with regard to the rights and abilities of women. Mm. I think that's also reflected in the film. Salman Rushdie writing about the film, and it holds true for the book as well, says, the power center of the film is a triangle at whose corners are Dorothy, Glinda, and the witch. The fourth point at which the wizard is thought for most of the film to stand turns out to be an illusion. The power of men is illusory. The film suggests the power of women is real. Yes. What? Hell yes. Little girls, little girls are mysterious and whatever. silly and powerful. That's and that's exactly right. my Latin, my next quote, right? Mm -hmm. Lasso takes the same approach to women. Look at how Rebecca finds her power and reduces all of the men in the Super League owners meetings to little boys. And the show doesn't minimize men, but it does show some of them reduced to who they really are. Mm -hmm. Like Ted telling Rebecca and for the children that she's not the only one who sees Rupert for who he really is. And then Rupert at the end being reduced to being seen as the weak bully in that final match where everyone is chanting wanker at him by the yeah. end, right? So there's that illusory power of men. Like, okay, so he's still a fucking billionaire and still has power, but it's not what you thought it was. And the women yeah. have more power than you think they do. And so I have one more little bit because something that is vastly different in the book, in the movie, is when you have the movie, Dorothy gets knocked out on the way to Oz. And at the end of the film, you see that Dorothy has been having a dream. She wakes up in the farmhouse, right? In the book, that's not a thing. She's knocked out at all. She she is not knocked out at all. She falls asleep, but the journey is real. It is a real thing that happens when she comes back. Uncle Farmer Henry had to rebuild the farmhouse. He had to mortgage the farm to do it, right? The mm -hmm. stand-ins that you have in the film for the scarecrow, the tin man, and the lion that are really farmhands in the film, mm -hmm. they're not a thing in the book. Yeah. So it's interesting that the the film and the book are that different in that respect, because in, in the book, it's not a question that it was a dream. Mm -hmm. In the film, it clearly was a dream. And we have that sequence at the end of the final episode of Ted Lasso that people have debated back and forth whether or not it was a dream. You know, Brendan Hunt in his Reddit AMA said it wasn't. But I, I get, even though I don't agree with him, the fans who interpreted that sequence as a dream, given the Wizard of Oz content, in Ted Lasso as a whole. Mm -hmm. Rushdie, among others who've written about this, don't like that change in the movie. Um, they feel it to some degree negates all the things that Dorothy has learned along the way. Yeah, I'd agree. And so like, I actually like how Ted Lasso ended, but I do understand some of the fans' questions, maybe not the intensity of their response, but the questions they have. Yeah. Rushdie had an interesting thing to say about the end of the film. I think he said it well, so I'm just going to quote him because she learns all these things along the way. And then it just comes back down to, well, you know, you just anything you needed was in your backyard. You don't ever need to leave. And so Rushdie's quote is, how does it come about at the close of this radical and enabling film, which teaches us in the least didactic way possible to build on what we have to make the best of ourselves that we are given this conservative little homily and that homily meaning there's no place like home. Yeah. Are we to believe that Dorothy has learned no more on her journey than she didn't need to make such a journey in the first place? Must we accept that she now accepts the limitations of her home life and agrees that the things she doesn't have are no loss to her? Is that right? Well, excuse me, Glinda, but it isn't. 
And I totally get that. And I think it's it's relevant to a lot of people's reactions to the end of Ted Lasso, because Mm -hmm. like I said, I like how the show ended, but I totally understand why some people didn't. So I think it's an interesting, if unintentional parallel, that many of the seeds of discontent with that ending were kind of right there in how they changed the ending of The Wizard of Oz for the film Mm -hmm. as well. And I want to close with one more quote from Rushdie's book, um, just because he's so good (laughs) Um, but I want to include it because Ted Lasso is fundamentally a show about bad fathers and coming to terms with that and this is in the opening of Rushdie's book about the Wizard of Oz my father was a magical parent of young children but he was also prone to explosions thunderous rages bolts of emotional lightning puffs of dragon smoke and other menaces of the type also practiced by Oz the great and terrible the first wizard deluxe And when the curtain fell away and we, his growing offspring, discovered, like Dorothy, the truth about adult humbug, it was very easy for us to think, as she did, that our wizard must be a very bad man indeed. It took me half a lifetime to discover that the great Oz's apologia pro vita sua fitted my father equally well, that he too was a good man, but a very bad wizard. And I think that's true of a lot of people's discovery of their father's as we progress through Ted Lasso, that their fathers were good men that were very bad wizards. Mm. And finding that redemption and that acceptance, I think, is a major theme of the show. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I I love how um, some of the things that you brought up about the differences between the book and the movie did come up a little bit in the wit. Like, the Wiz did handle some of these things differently. So I wonder, like, I almost would love to do, like, a read the book watch all the interpretations of the book, right? In all the different formats. That would be really interesting. I don't, you know, one day when I have time to do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. The mysterious time when we have time. <laughs> yeah, but I love that idea. Just like, yeah, but, uh, you know, because the feeling of the Wiz was very different from Wizard of Oz in a lot yeah. of different ways. And I wonder where, where, like, well, the silver, also it wasn't green. It wasn't the Emerald City. It wasn't all green. It was changing colors. Mm-hmm. And Alan Wiz and stuff like that. And so it's just interesting. And her slippers were actually silver. They were silver, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think it also I think it also depends on how many of the books you read because the the annotations, I like I said, I only read this first book of Bombs, but the annotations make it pretty clear that he's not always internally consistent himself. And that makes yeah. sense if you consider he's just talent stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Yeah. Um, I have um, the annotated Dracula, and it's one of my favorite things in the world. Because it takes Dracula and it makes it this giant, right? With all the mm. annotations. So like I'm kind of curious to read that. Well, so and the and the annotated Wizard of Oz also has all of the original color plate illustrations from the oh, book. Nice. And those oh, wow. are worth the price of admission on their own. They're pretty amazing. Let's hear more of your favorite Wizard of Oz media comments. Chris Wilson says, Wamego, Kansas has a Toto tour. Leslie Cunningham says, Believe in Yourself, as sung by the luminous Lena Horne as Glinda the Good Witch in The Wiz. M.G. Herrera says, Wicked the Musical. Christy Parker TX says, The Wiz and Wicked are my favourites. The QA Diva says, I collect Wizard of Oz stuff. My latest is a version where I got to put diamond dots on the cover and it's an absolutely gorgeous book of The Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, all covered and gorgeous rhinestones. If you'd like to join in the conversation, follow us on Twitter at Beards Book Club or send us an email at coachbeardsbookclub at gmail.com. Back to the podcast. As ever, Marita, fantastic. 
I'm I'm going to take us back to Kansas for a bit because I cheated. I didn't watch The Wizard of Oz. I watched Return to Oz because it's one of my favourite films. And I thought, well, it might be quite a good way to find out if there's any possible season four storylines in there. Because Return to Oz is based on The Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz, which neither of I've read. But if anybody has read the books, that gives you a little idea of where the story is going. So I thought what I'll do is I'll quickly give you a synopsis of the film. Then I'll give you the ideas of who my characters are and we'll look at a possible season four plot taken from Return to Oz. Return to Oz was released in 1985. It has Feruza Balkan in it. She's one of my favourite actresses when I was a kid because I also adored The Worst Witch, but that's an aside. We return to Kansas a year or so after Dorothy Gale has returned from Oz. She cannot get Oz out of her mind and will tell anyone who listens about it. She can't return for a visit because the ruby slippers fell from her feet on the way home to Kansas. She's taken to a sanatorium by her Aunt Em and Uncle Henry, who naively believe she will receive help for what they see as delusions. The cruel doctor and nurse tie Dorothy down and plan to administer electrotherapy, but a lightning storm foils their plans and causes a power outage. Dorothy sees the other patients that the ECT machine has hurt and escapes. Now, bearing in mind, this is set in 1899, where ECT was rarely used effectively and sometimes actually used as a form of punishment. So not like nowadays, where it can be used effectively. But anyway, the nurse chases Dorothy into a river where she floats away in a chicken coop. Dorothy wakes up in Oz with Belina, a talking chicken. But Oz isn't the same beautiful place it was when she left. The yellow brick road is torn up like rubble, the Emerald City is in ruins, and most of its inhabitants have been turned to stone. This includes the Tin Man and Cowardly Lion. They are suddenly chased by wheelers, men with wheels for feet. Off topic, but the wheelers look like members of a 1970s punk band. <laughs> That's just genuinely, it's, they're so weird looking, but they're creepy and I like them. While hiding from the wheelers, Dorothy and Belina find a rundown, wind-up robot called TikTok, not the app where you can dance. Just to clarify that. <laughs> Definitely not. After Dorothy winds up TikTok's winders, TikTok saves them from the sex pistols. I mean, sorry, the wheelers. And he explains that he had been told by the King of Oz, the Scarecrow, to await Dorothy's return. But while he waited, all his winders ran down. They make their way to Princess Mombi's castle to look for a, to look for Scarecrow. Mombi has a collection of interchangeable heads and glass cabinets, which this is one of my favourite scenes in this whole movie. It's so dark. And we see her wear two of the heads while talking to Dorothy. Not two at the same time. She changes in the middle. Has to get into something more comfortable. She explains that Scarecrow is imprisoned in the Gnome King's Mountain. She locks Dorothy and Belina up in her tower, explaining that chickens are now banned in the Land of Oz. In the tower, Dorothy meets Jack Pumpkinhead, a Scarecrow with... A pumpkin for a head. Probably given away in the name. Logical. <laughs> yeah, who is played by Jim Henson's son, by the way. Now, he tells Dorothy he was brought to life by a magical powder that Momby keeps in a cabinet with her original head. With the help of TikTok and Jack and a mysterious green ghost-like girl seen in the mirror, Dorothy steals the powder and builds a flying creature from some sofas and the mounted head of a gump, which is kind of like a moose. They fly across the deadly desert to the Gnome King's mountain. The ropes binding the flying gump break and they all crash into the side of the mountain where they find Scarecrow. The Gnome King discovers them and turns Scarecrow into an ornament. 
He then makes a deal with Dorothy that our group can have three guesses each as to which ornament is Scarecrow. If they guess correctly, he will free them, but he kind of betrays them by turning them into ornaments themselves if they guess wrong. Didn't really give them the rules of the game beforehand. Everyone fails until Dorothy is the only one left. The Gnome King reveals that he got his power from the ruby slippers that fell from the sky when Dor Dorothy returned to Kansas. This is hilarious seeing like this big stone rock mountain guy in a pair of ruby slippers. It's like, it's so funny. I love it. Awesome. Yeah, it's brilliant. And he really suits them. He really pulls those, those ruby slippers off. He offers to send her home, but she refuses. And with one remaining guess, she guesses that the people from Oz are turned into green ornaments and she frees Scarecrow from a glass ornament. She then frees Jack and the Gump. This enrages the Gnome King, who grows to a gigantic size. The Gnome King picks Jack up and prepares to eat him but hiding inside his head is Belina, the chicken. Belina lays an egg in fear which falls into the Gnome King's mouth and poisons him. Dorothy finds the ruby slippers and wishes the Emerald City and all its inhabitants to be restored to their original glory. TikTok is still missing, but a medallion is discovered on the Gump's antler and Dorothy frees TikTok as well. I just, I, w I want to interrupt you briefly to say that the egg poisoning the giant is just another illustration of the power of women. Yeah, yes, right. Because at first I was yes. going to be like, this is so weird. But yeah, and Belina is a female talking. This is a, well, this obviously is a, she is because she lays an egg, Michaela. Duh. This is a podcast, so no one can see me like <laughs> laughing at that. Um, <laughs> um, I just wanted her name to be Camilla. And then I was like, wasn't there a Muppets version of The Wizard of Oz? Camilla. Oh, I didn't know that. And Gonzo is Dorothy. <laughs> I love Gonzo. Gonzo's my favourite. So, Ozzy's inhabitants want Dorothy to be their queen and stay, but she realises she has to return to Kansas. Belina, the talking chicken, chooses to stay in Oz. Dorothy sees the mysterious girl from the mirror who she earlier saw in Mombi's castle. It's Princess Ozma, the rightful ruler of Oz. Dorothy gives Ozma the ruby slippers and she uses them to send Dorothy home to Kansas, promising that Dorothy can return at any time she wishes. After returning home, Dorothy sees Belina and Ozma through her bedroom mirror and calls for her Aunt Em, but they signal for her to keep Oz a secret. And that is the story of Return to Oz. And if you haven't seen it, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's amazing. It sounds wild, yeah. Sounds fascinating. Yeah. It's a lot darker than the Wizard of Oz, but you know clearly it's, yeah. um, it's a different sort of uh, through a different view. So the characters that I believe from Ted Lasso, I have Dorothy as Ted. I have the Ruby Slippers as the Believe sign. I have the Gnome King as Rupert, and Mombe as a new character, Rupert's new wife. Aunt M is Michelle, and Uncle Henry as well Henry. TikTok is Higgins. Belina is Beard. Belina is Beard, Jack and Gump represent PB&J and May, the Scarecrow is Roy, the Tin Man is Jamie, the Lion is Nate, Ozma is Rebecca, the Wheelers are some football hooligans, and that is who my characters are. I just was thinking about Rupert and a new wife, and I was like, is her name Reba? Because I feel like it needs to be another derivative of Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah i never thought of that because I, I, in the theory that i'm about to propose i just called her mom because it was the easiest thing to do but yeah it actually makes sense that he just keeps finding women with variants maybe it's it's bex with an x 
I always assumed Bex was with an ex. No, it's two C's, I think. No. I've seen it always seen it as X. I would say with an X. I mean, my my name is with an X, but maybe that's where I'm getting it from. But I'm just thinking it needs to be a different one, like Rebecca, Bex, Reba. There Reba's we go. a good one, yeah. Eka. <laughs> <Acre. laughs> no. no, I know. Uh, yeah, as a, a Rebecca, a uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so taking the story of Return to Oz and using the character list I've created, this is my proposal for season four. Now, it's a treatment and a sort of outline. It doesn't mean that I, this is exactly what I would expect to happen. This is just the main sort of plot points and the, there'll be other storylines going alongside it. But this is what I believe would be good to come from it. The Dorothy in my theory is Ted. Ted's mental health is suffering back in Kansas. And although he loves Michelle and Henry, he feels a longing to return to Richmond. He is visited by Beard, who is Belina, the talking chicken, who is still a coach at Richmond, but he brings bad news and asks Ted to return. Rebecca, who represents Ozma, is frozen out of the club by Rupert and his new wife, who's a lawyer. Let's call her Momby. She's found a loophole in the divorce papers and Richmond is now back in the hands of Rupert, who in this scenario is the Gnome King. Rupert is focused only on himself and not the success of the club. He is now in possession of the Believe sign, which represents the Ruby Slippers. Roy, who is the Scarecrow, is the current manager of Richmond and is forced to follow Rupert's rule in order to protect the club and its players, almost as if he has turned to stone. Without Ted and under Rupert's rule, Roy now encounters football hooligans at the club, and this would be the Wheelers. Any power that Higgins has had has gone as he's forced out of being the director of football. Higgins in this, in this situation is TikTok and he's all wound down. The total football used by Ted is no more, which forces Jamie, the tin man, to regress into his old ways of seeing himself as number one. Nate, the cowardly lion, is still in his kit man position and his talents are being wasted. Ted returns to Richmond with Beard and visits Higgins to find out what has happened to his beloved Richmond. Higgins updates him. He meets Rupert's new wife, Momby, who, like Nate, was in season three is under Rupert's spell. They form a Save Richmond team, which includes PB&J and May, who represent Jack and the Gump. They visit Rupert and see that he has the Believe sign on his wall, but he is using it to believe only in himself. Rupert agrees to a game that if Ted wins, Rupert will return the club to Rebecca. He does this with the expectation Ted will not win, like he did with the darts match. Rupert suggests that if the fans want him out, he will go. He's so self-absorbed and with the power of the belief sign, he does not doubt himself. But what Rupert does not know is that Ted and his group have gathered the power of the fans behind them. Beard presents Rupert with a petition from the fans for his removal from the club and as they still own 49%, they are the true owners of Richmond for the right reasons. Richmond returns to its previous glory and they all beg Ted to stay. Ted gives the belief sign to Rebecca and returns to Kansas to his family. They mark one of the seats in the stadium as Ted's and say that they will always keep it open for him. Beard remains in Richmond and the last scene is Ted on a FaceTime call with Rebecca and Beard. Oh, And that's my season four from The Return to Oz. I like I would watch that. Would you watch, would watch that? that? Also, I mean, you should flush it out and make it a fanfic. Post it. <laughs> I should do. Yeah, I should do. I'm terrible at sitting down and actually writing. But No, but that's beautiful. 
oh it works it works so well yeah yeah and and there's things that like that aren't right and because obviously beard's got a family now and was he was never going to come back to kansas he was just coming back to get ted and you know, there's a lot of characters that haven't got much of a story, which you would then flesh out out from that. But sure. there's there's definitely some possibilities from Return to Oz, and there's another Oz film, isn't there? Um, with there's a bunch. Yeah, there was one not that well, I say not that long ago. It was probably like fifteen years ago. The one with James Franco in it. Was oh, it the, yeah. all, the all powerfuls or something like that. Something mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Wicked again. Wicked is Wicked. Yeah. I have been a while since I've seen that, but it's one of my favorite musicals. I love it. Yeah. Oz the Great and Powerful. What do we think of the belief sign being the ruby slippers? I like that. That, that works really well. Because it's obviously still ripped and put back together, but mm-hmm. th- there is a power to it. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. All right, you listening? You listening, Jason Sudeikis? Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, let's get this. Wait, treatment well, written. after the writers' strike is over, though, please let's yes. please keep, yeah, let's yeah, keep yeah, striking. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. strike until you get what you deserve. And, exactly. uh, yeah, we support the writers' strike here. We definitely support that one hundred percent. Let's hear more of your favourite Wizard of Oz media comments. Joe to you says, I adored the book and was enthralled by the film as a child. Myriad Illusion says, I love watching it with Dark Side of the Moon synced up. When the song Money comes on, you'll see the yellow brick road. It's a perfect time to discuss the original silver slippers and money theory that the novel championed. Or maybe I just got a mug of Coach Beard's tea. Glowy Sweet Fab said, I saw Wizard of Oz on ice when I was a kid. That's my favourite childhood memory. Bobby McFerrin did the music, I think. I also love The Wiz. I love that they had Brandy Carly sing home in the end credits of one of the episodes. S. Mittermeer says, Wicked and the 100th episode of Scrubs. Thank you everyone for those wonderful comments and if you'd like to join in in future, send us a tweet at Beards Book Club or an email to coachbeardsbookclub at gmail.com. Back to the podcast! So I think we all came up again with something really different and interesting. And I like, it. I like yeah. how it progressed through, right? You know, Andrea yeah. started us off in the beginning. I kind of took us to like that final scene in Oz. Marita brought us back to Kansas as well as jumping back and forth. And then you took us into the future with Return yeah. to Oz. It was a beautiful progression. It was lovely. And I remembered the order, which is magical within itself, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Do we know what we're doing? We do. We do, don't we? We do. Look at me tentatively asking just not to put the pressure on. (laughs) And I'm prepared this time. (laughs) Take it away. We're going to be reading Kafka on the Shore, which was uh, the book that Jade was reading, uh, season three, episode five, when Nate had his guys night out with Rupert. Yeah, I love Jade. Love me some Jade. And spoiler alert. It's kind of an interesting book. Yeah. So far, I'm really enjoying it. Really, really. Well, I read so far of it. Right. Okay. So, Kafka on the Shore, looking forward to it. Thanks, everyone, for all your Wizard of Oz takes, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Twitter at Beards Book Club or send us an email at coachbeardsbookclub at gmail.com. 
subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family and leave a five-star review.